poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and Duncan Palamortis. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Philosophical Friday. Uh, this is uh, your hosts, uh, Duncan Palamortis and uh, Peter Birmingham. Uh, once again, you're here with us, Peter. Welcome, 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 like uh, Brad would say. <laughs> How's yeah, everything going? Thanks very much, Duncan. Yeah, delighted to be, uh, delighted to be back again and uh, have a chance to discuss, uh, discuss another interesting topic, hopefully, and we can... Uh, delve into delve into our chosen subject for this week excellent 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 and and again i mean um brad has been uh, very busy lately so um we we're, we're doing this for the uh for the foreseeable for the foreseeable future excuse me uh if i understand this correctly and uh so what's uh, what's today uh, on, on the agenda uh, peter what are, what are we going to talk about today so today we are going to discuss um, based off a website called longbest.org, mm -hmm. and this is a site, and it's, it's a pretty old site. And like, I mean, you can you can kind of readily tell that this is. This is I, th I think you mentioned it was from the originally from the early two thousands, right? And this is where um, people come together and they make <clears throat> long extended bets on mm -hmm. events that they expect will happen, and there's somebody takes a contrary. Um, I think most of the people, if you dig into the people who are making it, most of them are kind of writers and mm -hmm. um, experts in the area. They, you know, so yeah, so that's that's basically the premise of the of the website. Absolutely, and there are people, you know, from all different areas. Uh, there is a lot of scientists, a lot of philosophers, a lot of writers, like you said, a lot of people who belong in think tanks, and basically they're trying to raise awareness on some issues like those issues can range anywhere from down-to-earth things like politics all the way to um environment philosophy technology sports you name it and they make predictions which are typically really long term and by really long term we mean anywhere between you know the next couple of years which is incredibly short term for those standards all the way to 50 years 100 years ahead and we're going to yeah. talk we're going to talk a little bit about that about the viability of this um we're going to talk a little bit about the structure of how it is structured. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the way uh, they're pricing things because these are not professional gamblers, as you can imagine. So, so, <laughs> so some of you people, you know, looking to to, to maximize EV over there. <laughs> we, we know we were having this conversation before they started. We, yeah. We're like that too. <laughs> it's, this, it's, this is not the website for you for max, max EV. This it's, is, this it's is not, definitely more along the lines of a gentleman. Gentleman's bet. Gentleman's um, bet, exactly. So why don't we start there? Why don't we talk a little bit about structure and why exactly it's not um, the a proper way to make, let's say, let's call them profitable bets. Let's start from there. Yeah. So I suppose, like like that, they take you know they take a subject as you say. They're looking to raise awareness on it. Somebody, mm -hmm. you know, you've got one person who's pro and one person who's con, and they set their um, they have like their stated position, um, like one just one that stands out. 
no Republican president will be will be president. No Republican will be president of the USA before on December thirty first, twenty thirty nine. Right before that date. So that's a pretty straightforward structure, and the right. terms of that bet are very very simple. But for more complex bets, then the terms get a little bit. They trash out the terms if there's figures involved. They have named a particular data set that they're going to operate off, and that's how they structure it and lay it out. That's exactly that's exactly correct. And uh, and we should uh, all also note that, that they do not offer odds, right? So usually all of these bets are one to one. Either a certain event is going to happen or not. Typically. I mean, you can say that they are sort of like adjusting those odds indirectly by extending the, the period of time. One comment that I want to make, because these are incredibly long-term bets, um, I could not find anywhere in the website mentioning whether or not if somebody loses the bet, whether they have to pay right away or they should pay when uh, the duration mentioned in the bet is mentioned. Let me give you an example for that. Right. Uh, let's say that we're talking about a bet that says that uh, in uh, in a 50 years, uh, in in less than 50 years, let's say we're going to have completely more than let's say f- five million um, five um, million self-driving cars. Right. Which, by the way, we're getting very close to this already. But uh, let, yeah. let let's say that within 50 years. So here's the thing: whether or not you believe this is true or false, you're sort sort of free rolling. If you always take the positive side of that bet, right? Because uh, here's the thing: if the, the the bet is like 50 or 60 years in the future, uh, the bet technically um, tells you that you lost only after the 50, 60 years end, and the thing that you bet on didn't happen, right? Whereas if it does happen, you get paid right away, right? So that's that's one thing that you know. If you're a professional gambler, these are sort of loopholes that you see immediately. So you make a ridiculous bet. We're going to have like let's say two heads by the end of the next century. Let's say, I mean, that's a super safe bet to take because again, you just have to wait. Let's say two hundred years. We're not going to be alive to you know uh, see any of this, let alone pay the other person. You know, so. Uh, I want to make that that clear that when we're approaching these types of bets, we really are looking at them again, not from the perspective of, of EV, but rather from the perspective of, you know, do we think this thing is going to happen or not? Because there's some some interesting questions. And speaking of interesting questions, because I'm sure the listener wants to hear, what are the questions? What, what are they asking? <laughs> do you know what the first bet was? The very first bet. The, the very first bet, bet. And we didn't plan this because I wanted it to be a surprise because it's very interesting what the first bet is. <laughs> do, do, no, do, I have no idea. I did not go that far back. I was kind of starting with them. I started when I was looking at this at the more recent ones because obviously a lot of the earlier ones had been ups- kind of settled at this point. Absolutely, absolutely. And and the reason why we didn't discuss this earlier because it's an amazing coincidence. It has to do with our topic last week. So the very first bet ah. was made in 2002. Uh, it was for 27 years. And then the short version of it is by 2029, no computer or machine intelligence, aka artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence. will have passed the Turing test. And so by 2029, no computer will have passed the Turing test. And for the listener, um, the Turing test is basically a way to differentiate uh, or not 
between humans and machine proposed by Alan Turing in the 50s. And the idea of the, of the Turing test is essentially um, behind closed curtains, you interview essentially a bunch of humans in one machine. Uh, in what we, uh, even in 2002, they knew as a chat box. So we were sending inquiries and then we hear back answers. And then it's the job of the interviewer to try and discern which of the answers came from a human and which of the answers came from a machine. And if they can tell, okay, this is a machine answer correctly, then uh, the machine has failed, as we say, the, the Turing test. And uh, that was made in 2002. So 27 years from 2002 is 2029. So we're nearing the uh, end of it. And the two proponents are Mitchell Kapoor and Ray Kurzweil, who, by the way, was the inspiration. Uh, 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 Ray uh, Kurzweil is the, uh, I believe, he's the, he's, the, um, he's the challenger, meaning he's the one who thinks that we will be able to find computers that are going to pass the, the Turing test. And, and Peter, um, I don't know if you know this because I didn't mention it. He was the inspiration why I, um, I, I, may, I created the position that I did in last week's podcast. The idea uh, that we can have, we can have uh, bionics perhaps, but we cannot necessarily have Terminators un, unless we actually crack the, uh, the miracle of life. That's, yeah, that's, it, that's really tied in nicely with last week's, uh, with last week's topic now. And that's, uh, that's, that's, that's funny. That's a funny coincidence. That's a very funny coincidence. And, uh, and I, should, I should probably sort of like to, to close a little bit that, uh, uh, th that, that point just a little bit. Uh, I should point out that uh, um, Kerswell has written a lot about technology. He's written a lot about his considered to be a futurist uh, writer, right? I mean, he, he talks about technology and, and a lot about all of the uh, positives that, uh, that are happening with technology. And there is, for anybody interested in all of these bets, there are essays of people, or at least a short description of their position, why they uh, think this is going to happen or why they think this is not going to happen. And like I alluded to earlier, Kerswell was the inspiration of something that I thought it was actually incorrect, right? I mean, I really loved his passion about technology. I really loved his passion about, you know, the future. But I thought he was going a little bit too far on the optimistic side of things. Like he, and to, to be very fair to his argument, by the way, which if you read it, it's a very meticulously and very eloquently described argument. It's probably 10,000 words long. <laughs> <laughs> but he's actually making a distinction, Peter. It's, it's incredibly interesting. He's making a distinction with what we, he calls hardware, and that will be the comp computational power of the computer, and software, which is what we would call uh, the rules of the game or the initial conditions. Uh, I wrote an article also on, on, on the village there, which is essentially the rules of the game. What should computers be allowed to compute on? What should computers, what direction are they, they can take, right? Because there's sort of all sorts of different directions. I mean, if you don't teach a computer the rules of chess, they're not going to be able to beat you no matter how quick they are in calculations, right? Yeah, the, the initial input has to be there. That, that, that's the force. That's almost the, 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 the spark, the big bang moment where, the, where you, and, you first started input. 
Exactly right. Ex- you nailed it. Exactly. Like the, the Big Bang conditions or whatever, whatever we're going to call them, the, the, the initial conditions. And in this case, we're talking about consciousness, perhaps, or we're talking about, you know, a, a, a machine that can fake consciousness in, 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 in some regard. Right. So uh, he calls that software. And, and to his credit, he realizes it's a very big, uh, big issue and very difficult for humans. I think he's um, the, the part I disagree with him, if, if you will, is that he thinks that hardware and software sort of like fall in the same category. You know, just because we can create machines which can be incredibly fast and calculate very quickly, that means we can equally solve the mystery of life, you know. And and to me, I draw a distinction between uh, calculations and understanding of what life is. In other words, to, to put it in a different um, in a different perspective, it's one thing to say uh, that um, the velocity of us increases, and it's another thing that we're going to reach at the end points of that trajectory. In other words, yet again, just to simplify that that a little bit, because again, it ties so nicely with what we were discussing last week. It's so it's so beautiful. He even talks about deep blue, and he even talks about Penrose and the uh, weather. Uh, consciousness is calculational uh, or not, computational or not. It's 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 beautiful. But just one more thing, uh, and I know I'm 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 running on a on a rant here on a very very long tangent, and I apologize. <laughs> that's okay, don't That's okay. We're here. We're here to get. We're here to learn. We're here to hear hear these news. Uh, so uh, one more um, uh, one one more thing that I think is just uh, um, uh, one more way of putting it. Uh, it's believable that we can, you know, invent teleportation, so to speak, right? Something completely ridiculous, right? I mean, we can, uh, l- like you see, I don't know, like in in Star Wars, in one of those Star, Star Trek, yeah, Star Trek know, stuff. Being the Scotty. Exactly, exactly. Like it's it's conceivable that we can, uh, like calculation can get uh, to that extent. We can perform all of these ridiculous things before we even solve the mystery of life, right? Because who knows how deep that thing is going to, right? And and I was like, I was inspired by this article because again, it reminds me of meta humility. You know, it reminds me of the of the gentleman of the. Um, of the 19th century, late 1800s, right? That they said everything that is to be discovered has been discovered already, yeah. you know? And I have, you know, a very hard time believing that there will ever be a moment in history where we will have resolved everything, right? I could be wrong on this, but that's my conjecture. And that's where I disagree with Kurzweil. And he was my inspiration of that disagreement because he's so eloquent, he's so positive. He is always, you know, so excited about technology. And he says, I mean, but we can calculate things so well. I mean, we come so close understanding the brain and he's absolutely right. But the question is, can we get to the end of it? Not just can we get faster and faster in revealing information. That is to me, the big question, because if we are to replicate consciousness, we need to unlock um, what I would call the soft uh, problem of life, meaning we need to at least know where life starts. Like we need to, uh, we may not understand exactly how, but we need to know where it starts. And if you can call that uh, string theory, you can call it something, but we know that we cannot go beyond that. That's the end all be all, that's where life starts. We, we set it in stone, and that sounds like a ridiculously hard, and I mean ridiculously hard, more than, you know, 
spontaneous combustion or like you know all of these crazy star anything things you can you can imagine and and that's the end of my tangent to peter and i apologize yet again <laughs> no it's fine and i suppose like i mean the, the, way, the way i would look at it and i wouldn't, certainly wouldn't be putting it anyway as eloquently as duncan has but i i'd look at it from a, a slightly more simplistic viewpoint where we're almost talking and correct me if i'm wrong here but but we're almost talking about the difference between actual intelligence and wisdom on the other side of things. Like, I mean, you can you can have all the knowledge in the world and, and an Irish rugby player once quotes, I'm not sure this is actually his quote, but he said this out loud. He said, intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Yeah. Wisdom is knowing it doesn't belong in a fruit salad. <laughs> exactly. That's actually very good. That's actually very good. Exactly. These are these are because you see, part of wisdom is also creating um connections um and using imagination and using creativity, but creating connections in seemingly different parts of life, right? You know, so it's one thing to talk about the categories, you know, is it a fruit or is it not a fruit? And yeah. you're talking when you uh, say it doesn't belong there, you make a connection to another category. You know, what I usually think when I eat fruit, I, I, I usually think, oh, dessert perhaps, or or a form of a snack. I don't want to think yeah. of, of tomato as a form of a snack, right? That's a different category. That's a different Absolutely. category. Like it's yeah. a category about eating. So we're making a connection between, let's say, the scientific category, which goes to, to, to part A, which goes to part B. And then we're talking about the, you know, eating category, which goes under the snack category, which goes under the dessert category, you know, or the main dish category, uh, or the side dish category. Like, you know, yeah. it's a, it's, it's a different, like, you know, type of, type of thing. And I, and I, I really like the, 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 the way you put it. It's, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly well phrased, but, but, but there you have it. So you folks, you can actually go, uh, into, uh, these, uh, uh these bets and you can see, each person's position. If you want to uh, dig into, there's there's also some some comments, some better than others, I should probably say. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, let me ask you uh, right off the bat: What did you think about? And again, I, you may hear some clicks because I'm going to be going through the website myself. We, we have some information over there. Uh, what what did you think about? Uh, Give me for first impressions. You go there, and and perhaps we can we can read some of the the questions to people so that they can get an idea, and um, then you can you can tell me some of your first impressions, or you can start with we can start with your first impressions. Let's start with your first impressions, maybe. Yeah. So when when I when I first when I first clicked on and and started looking at it, like we had actually we had, it's funny because myself and Duncan had talked about this and we we agreed off you know off air. About, today's subject and we thought you know we're coming into the festival we'll keep it a little bit light you know something a little bit lighthearted right and uh duncan sent me the link for this website i had a look at it and straight away first impression is okay this is this is not as lighthearted as it's not thought lighthearted. it was going to be this, this <laughs> looks particularly even the phrasing on the questions this is slightly more on the academic side this right. Is, this is not somebody that you're going to meet down in your local casino making these bets. <laughs> right. You know, these are this is this is well thought out. Um. So that was that was obviously my first impression. So then I started digging into the I started digging into the questions. Like 
So the, fir the first question that I dug into, and this was this is the last bet that's been made, like the most recent one. Mm -hmm. So by January 1st, uh, 2037, Tesla will have been the first company with one million vehicles that are capable of SEA level four autonomy on over 90% of public roads in the contiguous United States with human level safety are better. And this capability will be usable by the general public commercially. Right. So there, that's the broad spectrum of the bet. Mm -hmm. um, so the SEA, just for people that obviously probably might know, is the Society of Automobile Engineers, and they have laid out, um, I think it's up to five levels mm -hmm. of, um, I suppose, safety levels, more or less what they are, um, mm -hmm. restrictions. And level four is... Level four is the second last. It's it's almost fully autonomous, but mm -hmm. it's not quite. Um, so that's basically that's basically what this uh, what this this bet has looked at. Um, this was an interesting one. I, I, and this is by like by twenty thirty seven. So that's fifteen years away. Um, we are about, if I'm not mistaken, probably. Am I right in saying that um, Waymo's, the Google car project, was the first autonomous car project? Or was there something before that, Duncan? Oh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm certainly not a, not a historian, but it's, 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 uh, it's definitely like uh, one, one, one of the first ones for sure. I'm, I'm yeah, sure somebody so that was, listened that's, to, yeah, yeah. That's, that was 2009. They, they started in 2009. And they have, they at the moment have, level four cars operating in mm -hmm. San Francisco and I believe Phoenix as taxis. Now these cars are not commercially available. They're used as sort of robo taxis and they're only right. working in these two states. So they do have level they are at level four. Right. Tesla are at level two. Mm -hmm. Which it it doesn't sound like a lot. Oh no, it actually no. Is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because you see, all of this is connected to the things that we were discussing last week, and actually connected a little bit to the rant uh, I, I had I had earlier, right? Because when we're talking about speed, all bets are off, right? I mean, the yeah. way you know counting works in technology, it skips numbers, so to speak, right? I mean, that's yeah. the sort of like the exponential the exponential growth of things. So it could be like on level one for decades and then you know spend you know a couple of months on level two and then the next week is on level three so to speak and of course i'm exaggerating a little bit but but that has happened like you know things you know potentially move exponentially if we um get into specific um roadblocks you know so that's absolutely yeah. you're absolutely right level two is not is not as as bad as it sounds no it's like i mean level two, level two for just for the listeners level two the driver has to be in the driver's seat with control of the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of features that are automated. There are features that are automated, but the driver always has to be sort of more or less in control. Like you, so, you're not relinquishing control really at any point. Um, and that's, that's the, the, the basics. They, I believe they um, tested, there's, there's two or three different stages of their level two different packages that they offer um with their with their cars 
But the thing I found, I think the, the thing I found kind of most interesting about this bet was, and I was actually looking at it there just before we came on air, and it felt kind of flawed because mm-hmm. when I was looking at the SEA regulations, in order for these cars to operate on 90% of the road, mm-hmm. the cars would have to achieve level five. Mm-hmm. Level five. According to standards now. Right. That, like, based on the standards that are laid out now, the bet seems a little bit flawed. The, 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 the phrasing maybe seems a little yeah. bit flawed, but that's, look, not that's, my go, that's going to happen. I'm yeah. not losing money on it. But right. yeah, it just seems, it seems a little bit awkwardly worded because they're going to have to be at level five. Because right. the, it's under normal, it's like the terms of the bear are under normal driving conditions. So that could be anything from rain, sleet, you know, and sort of moderate snow that you would encounter in different parts of the country. Um, these are all major factors when it comes to autonomous vehicles. Right, of course. Because you're talking about sensors on cars, cameras on cars, all of these things which do not necessarily react well to adverse weather conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, level four is level four. You can the car will drive autonomously under level four, but only when certain conditions are achieved. And other than that, it won't. So, yeah, this is this is this is an interesting one. It's an interesting one. What, what's your verdict? Like, what wh- which side would you go on? And again, I mean, the bet is roughly speaking by. Uh, 2037, Tesla in particular will have more than, what was it, 4 million? Uh, one, one million. One million. Vehicles. One million uh, at level four. Yes. Uh, one million. Yeah. I don't doubt that Tesla will get there. I, I think it's possible. However, the way the bet is worded, and as a gambler, that's always going to be. All that matters. That's right. All that matters. It's all about the wording and what's in there. No other com- if another company does this first, the bet, the, exactly. that's it. You've lost the bet. So this is, this is all contingent on getting there first. Now, the fact that there is a company out there who is operating already two levels above, and like, we're not exactly like, we're not talking about a mom and pop garage here. This right. is like, I mean, this is, this is a huge, this is huge. That's right. Um, they can realistically speaking get there a lot quicker than Tesla can if the desire is there. And that's the other element of it. That's like right. you're actually relying on these companies taking that direction and wanting right. for you to be able to drive in all these different conditions. Right. So so you, that's the long term goal or not. That's another thing. That's 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 and that's another thing. So it, it sounds like you're leaning towards the, the no side of the of the bet. Yeah, I, I just think for all these things to happen, I think it's too much. I think the, the biggest the biggest drawback for me is the 90% of public roads. Yeah. Because I think that that there, it, even if they achieve everything else, I think the 90% of public roads is going to trip them up because that's, that's, a, that's a pretty massive undertaking right. um, to have a, everything mapped out and stuff like that. And, they maybe don't have the resources that, like, if a company like Waymo, if they partnered with, say, General Motors, who mm-hmm. have much bigger fleets of cars on the road, will will have much more data collection opportunities. They have 
really could get there a lot faster. Tesla doesn't have that. Um, it, so that's, that's, a, that's a drawback for them in that situation. I really like the way you're approaching this because that's what I was hoping we would do. Like We're going to go into the nitty gritty, how to dissect a bed and trying to see, find value in a place where there's not supposed to be value, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, because that was, that was my thoughts exactly. Like I would, like the moment I read something like this, remove the name Tesla from uh, the bed, give 15 years honestly like 15 years is a lifetime for technology like you know we can potentially see this much earlier than that you know if, if it were to i mean I, I i can't talk odds because i honestly have no idea but like i would almost certainly with with the name tesla removed i will definitely take the the yes side there now with tesla in particular I, i'm not even sure if tesla is going to be solvent in, in in 15 years and i know people's like what are you talking about because again i, I mean tesla is not um, and I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, right? I mean, it's not, <laughs> I know it's going to, like, this is an incredibly... Be careful, uh, Duncan, you'll be removed from Twitter. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know, however you slice it, you know, if you know anything about, you know, the market capitalization of this company is a highly overpriced company. Now, whether or not is, you know, there is a good reason why it's being so overpriced. It, it, it can be it, it can be debated. I mean, it brings things to the table, but it's not the only company specifically for um, for autonomous um, uh, uh, vehicles. Now, for electric vehicles, yes, arguably it is the leading company, but companies go come and go, and uh, Tesla hasn't been around long enough to prove that it's a company that can remain solvent for prolonged periods of time. Like being a company that survives for a long period of time is actually very, very difficult. So on the grounds of that alone, on the, on the, on the grounds of lack of longevity, we, we can't necessarily know, you know, if this is going to be a company that, you know, um, like Napster, you know, starts really well, you know, with MP3s and then it disappears from the face of the earth. I mean, you know, if you're if you're my age, you know, when you were growing up, Napster was the the thing, you know, like of of of, of the internet. And now, I mean, young kids today don't even However, know what that. But changed the shape of how we feel and listen to music forever. Good point. Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of the things that people like Tesla for can still be there. Like, I mean, there's still going to be innovation, but whether or not it's going to be solvent in 15 years, that's like any, any anybody who's into businesses and knows how quickly businesses come and go, you know, it's, it's debatable whether or not they have an incredible moat uh, around the company. And I know some people will say, yes, they do. Some people will say, no, they don't. I'm not arguing about that, but it's something that really makes me worried to see that name in there, right? You know, it's a company that hasn't been around for that long. Yeah, and it should be, uh, like, I mean, just to actually throw in on that, because there's actually another bet where I, I, and I was looking into, like, uh, Tesla share price and market mm -hmm. capitalization, and it should be kind of, no, it just based on what, that Tesla sales were up 58% this year. Yeah. They had growth, sales growth of 58%. Their share price is dropping through the floor. That's right. That's right. Because again, I mean, if you, if you, um, so if, if you read their that's capital, worrying. that's very worrying because already, uh, like if you uh, uh, do their market capitalization, I believe uh, with some metrics, they have the market cap capitalization of all the other. Um, electrical vehicle companies combined, something like that, something ridiculous like that, you know, and, and they definitely, you know, even though they, they have like a, 
a, a good enough market share, they're not as big as the, the price suggests. So a lot of what happens in, in Tesla uh, price is a huge anticipation far beyond what they currently have. And, and you know, having potential and realizing that potential is two different things. And in a hyper-competitive environment like the while we live, this is this is sort of sort of dangerous. Of course, none of that is financial advice. You always do your own research on things. But personally, as a gambler, <laughs> you know, you're asking me, you know, would you would you bet um, a Tesla? Uh, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, so beautiful. So speaking of controversial things. A Bitcoin, uh, number 853, uh, the Bitcoin will be worth less than $1,000 US by the end of 2025. That bet was created uh, two years ago, and it's to last for five years. So a Bitcoin will be worth less than 1000 US by the end of 2025. Go. <laughs> yeah, this one was interesting. Like... A Bitcoin, in reality, a Bitcoin is worth nothing. Like in, in real terms, a Bitcoin is worth nothing. It does not, it doesn't exist backed by nothing. It's held but the only thing that keeps it supported is the market around it. Um, right. It could go to zero in the morning under the right conditions, um, which is always, you know, kind of, is always going to be, we've seen massive price fluctuation in Bitcoin over the past 12 to 18 months. Seems to have kind of steadied a little at the moment. It's kind of, uh, it's still kind of holding in around that sort of 17, 18 mark. If I'm, I'm not sure what the, I haven't checked it in a few days. Mm -hmm. um, three years time to go to it under a thousand. I'm not sure whether it drops that much. Uh, some recent people I was listening to have suggested that maybe we're kind of at a stage now where it's, it's going to level off and it may, you're talking minimal fluctuations, you know, maybe up a few thousand, down a few thousand, but the huge swings may be gone out of it. Um, which, okay, I, I'm not heavily um, educated on the, okay. on the crypto market. You know, I'm literally watching prices and seeing the trends more or less. But I think it's possible. Possible. Okay, so so let's say it's let's possible. say in, in the spirit of Christmas, we place you under the gun and we ask you take a side. Which side would you pick? If I was to, if I was under the gun, I'm I'm gonna say no because no. I think Good. there's enough money because you know the logical side of it is so much. There is so much money out there. Isn't it? There are big players who are heavily invested, and it's in their interest to keep the price up. They can keep it up a certain amount. Obviously, they can't support the market. But yeah, I, I think like less than a thousand is basically a collapse at this point, considering Correct. the highest we come from. Um, so whether that will happen in two years I, or three years, I, I, I don't think so. Going to my head, I'm going to say no. Okay. But long term, I can, if you were to stretch that out over 20 years, I would say I would, I would be on the S. Um, long term, I, like I don't see it. Yes, I, 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 I'm actually, I'm actually with you. Hopefully, you know, we're going to get into, uh, into, into bets where we disagree. But uh, uh, a, a, a couple of, a couple of points because you made, you made some, some very good points. Uh, first of all, the, the long-term point, like uh, I'm on the record saying multiple times that cryptocurrency is here to stay, not necessarily Bitcoin. Uh, but the thing that Bitcoin has in its favor is that already it has spread out, so it's decentralized, 
and getting those things decentralized is very difficult. So we have to be very careful um, with these kind of arguments because, you know, creating the new Bitcoin is not going to be easy because, again, you have to, uh, a lot of people have to trust it. You have to spread it um, around so that people don't have more than, than, than 50% control of it, right? So it has to be decentralized. Uh, that being said, there is nothing that prevents us from, you know, creating something in the future that is um, potentially much more efficient, much smarter. Uh, you know, technology, again, doesn't have necessarily an end, right? And that's that's that, that's one thing. So I'm, I'm very much with you with that. You also mentioned, you know, that people, you know, saying maybe stabilizes and things like that. I just wanted to, you know, draw a little bit of a parallel because you, you triggered that thought. It is Philosophical Friday, after all. Uh, I see that happening a lot in, in the world of crypto in particular. And I would argue with everything that happened with FTX, it is very common uh, that people, and I don't know how else to phrase it, but very often people don't know what they're talking about. And what I mean by they don't know what they're talking about, myself included, by the way, what I mean by uh, we don't know what we're talking about is that there is not enough information to possibly know what we're talking about. That's very similar to trying and ask a machine, how does human perceives reality? So how do markets perceive reality? We don't really understand that question. So for somebody to come and make prediction, you know, people really think that they're making honest predictions. I will, I mean, there's some crooks out there, right? I mean, I mentioned FTX. I mean, the, the person is under indictment. Who knows what he did, what they didn't do. I'm not saying either way, but I mean, there's some crooks out there, right? So, but the, 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 the problem is even people who mean well, we don't have enough information to actually make accurate predictions. So when people making predictions about the markets, they don't know what they're talking about. They can't know what they're talking about. Right? That's that's the other thing. So we have no idea. Like that's why we can never see those collapses coming. We we, we did not see the 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 the, the market collapses coming uh, of the um, uh, the uh, the real estate collapse. Uh, we didn't we didn't see the um, uh, stock crash coming in the 2000s. And of course, people will say, well, there's some few voices who said, you know, a collapse is coming. Yeah, these are the perpetual, as we call them, bears, like people who are always yeah. thinking the collapse is coming. Right. If you yeah. if you go and you look at some of the pe people who predicted uh, the, the collapses, these are people who are generally bearish. It, Taleb included. When Taleb wrote his his book, the, the Black Swan, and then a year later the collapse happened. I mean, Taleb is worried about his risk his entire life. I am, in some sense, a perpetual bear. I'm always worried about risk, yeah. right? I'm always worried about risk. I say that to people. Don't play like nobody. Nobody's rolled enough to play the the, the main event, you know. Like unless you are like you know a multimillionaire, like ten thousand is not something you can afford to risk, right? I mean, I am saying that all the time, you know, but. The, the the point that I'm trying to say uh, to, to 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 make here is that uh, the we don't know when we're making those predictions, so we have absolutely no idea. So the yeah. way you said it's tough to tell, I think it shows that it's very difficult to 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 make to 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 make those those, those predictions. Uh, th that being said, I don't think uh, the uh, again worthless opinion, but I don't think the Bitcoin is going to drop below a thousand by 2025 because price and value are two different things whether it's worth zero or yeah. not is irrelevant i don't think people yeah. unless they absolutely need the money they're going to drop and run yeah i uh, yeah i uh, i agree with you I, I i definitely um i i definitely think you're right that yeah this this one is this what this one is going to be uh this one is not going to be won by the 
that the, the person who put it who, who put it up um it's it's i did have a thought there and it just it just actually escaped it just completely went down in my head but that's okay <laughs> we, we 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 love cats, you know. It's <laughs> it's uh... yeah. I, I I did. I had a I had a, I had a thought. It's something I wanted to say, and it completely it completely escaped me. Oh oh so oh sorry. I thought we said okay. You thought okay. I I misheard. I thought there was a your your cat was getting into the sorry. So you oh you, no. You I put the cat. I put the cats out before we started recording. <laughs> I, I, I have my headphones on, so I but I just about heard them screaming at the door. Obviously looking for. Got something it. which we'll deal with that later got it so if peter at any point during the conversation if that thought comes back because usually sometimes they do uh, let me know and we we're gonna gonna go back to this um speaking of financial stuff do you know what is the largest bet ever made on this website the largest bet yes um, no like i see one in front of me for i think both sides put up five thousand each mm -hmm. um that was 10,000. That was the largest one I came across. Okay. So if you if you scroll down around the area of like uh, 3, 362, and by the way, numbers are being skipped because not all of, the, all of these uh, bets are public. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there, is, ah. there is a bet for $1 million each adjusted uh, for inflation. So it ended up settling for $1.1 million. This is a very famous bet. You may have heard of it. Um, if you are in 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 the markets uh, that's actually how i found out about this website because buffett mentioned it in uh, in one of his uh, shareholder meetings and uh, basically this is the famous um uh bet that he made in 2008 that was you know after the big collapse and he said that over a 10 year period commencing in 2008 um the s&p will outperform a portfolio of funds or hedge funds when performance is measured on a basis net of fees, costs, and expenses. So that's very important. So basically, it's market versus hedge funds. Who wins after fees? That's very important, right? So he's okay. saying, okay, so a passive investor that takes their money and they invest it in the simplest vehicle possible. Uh, available to people. That's the S&P uh, 500 for the listener who doesn't know. These are the 500 biggest companies. And, you know, essentially it's uh, it's, it's an ETF, um, exchange trading fund. So you can actually put the money in there and sort of like take the averages of the market versus an actively, um, actively, um, uh, the, the, the word escapes me right now, actively managed. Right. Yes, exactly. Actively yeah. traded or actively managed. Exactly. Fund from a from a hedge fund. Who's going to win? But you have to remove costs, fees, and expenses, which S&P is sort of like passive. You just pay a, a very uh, small percentage. I believe it's 0.03% a year to Vanguard or something like that uh, versus, you know, 1% uh, a year, 2% a year, whatever, like these hedge funds are charging, plus costs for like, you know, trading and things like that. Yes. So yeah, this. No, go on. No, 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 no. Please, please. What, what are your thoughts? I want to hear your thoughts. I was just. No, I was just. I, I, I think that's 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 really interesting. Like mm -hmm. that. Something so simple, you know, like the, very the, simple, the simple investment model, um, with 
you know, but again, remove all the administration, all the fees, you know, you take out the glitz and the glamour of the, the hedge funds, you know, you take out that money out and, you know, the simpler, the simpler product is, uh, the simpler product is coming out ahead. That's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really, uh, yeah, that, that, that's really interesting, especially when you, when you consider how traders, you know, like, you know, look, we've all, probably all watched uh, billions and stuff like that you know you see your right. these characters and you know making big trades and making billions and you know crushing the results 10 15 percent returns and this kind of stuff that's obviously not the reality of uh the actual you know actual headphones across the board correct exactly and, and buffett's argument is actually very simple it says the uh, the average investor is going to perform average right so, so if you take all of the he he makes a distinction. Um, he makes a distinction which is uh, uh, similar to the distinction his his teacher was actually uh, making, and that distinction is between active investors and passive investors. So, passive investors are the ones who basically don't do anything; they just go in the market, some form of an ETF, and then by definition, since they are just basically buying the entire market at smaller proportions, of course, per per stock. Um, they're going to perform average. So that leaves the active investors. So if the passive investors perform average on average, then the active investors must also perform average on average because the the total average has to average out, right? So he says, okay, so out of all hedge funds, I mean, some of them are going to perform above average, some below average, but on average, they're going to perform average. So how do you find, you know, like sort of like the active investor that you think is better than the other ones, especially in the face of... um, what what I would call unknown risk. We don't know exactly what kind of risk we're dealing with, right? It's not like poker where we know what we don't know. You know, we don't know if the opponents yeah. has kings or aces, but they cannot have jokers. You know, like they, we know yeah. that they have specific holdings. You know, in in their in in their hands, one of, of, of you know a variety of different holdings. Markets are not like that. With markets, no. we don't know the, the, the things that, that 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 we're missing. So we don't know what we don't know. So it's 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 funny because that bet actually was settled uh in, in 2017 and, and Buffett famously won by a landslide, by the way. <laughs> and that was after after financial collapse, where you know the um some of the hedge funds were saying, um, you know, we can win in downturns and we can win in upturns and th- stuff like that. None of that uh none of that stuff happened. So it was an interesting, interesting bet. Uh, which is actually, which actually, if you sorry to put across it, which is yeah. actually quite interesting because you would imagine that a really, like a really smart active investor, like 2008, when we're at the bottom of everything, stocks are cheap, right. companies are, you know, there's a lot of value if you know where to look. If you can, if you're really that active in the markets and, you know, you're doing your, re- you, there's value to be had. That, that was a perfect time to be getting in on because the market was at bottom. And you should, that's exactly when you should be putting your money in. And it should realistically only, you know, go up, especially if you're being, you know, if you're active and you're identifying, you know, a lot of stuff would have been undervalued at that point simply because everything collapsed. Um, but that obviously didn't happen. Right. That's a good point. Exactly. Because again, it comes down to the, this is an incredibly good point, actually. It, it, it comes down to, the, down to the discrepancy between pricing and value, 
price and value are two different things. So just because the price goes down, it doesn't mean it cannot go lower. Tesla is a perfectly good example, right? I mean, Tesla dropped, you know, uh, double digits this year, high double digits this year, and it's still overpriced. And what I mean by it's still uh, over. What I mean by overpriced, it means that it's. I mean, it's not a good value based on what? Based on the actual profitability, based on how much money that company produces. Because once you start putting these, uh, not in terms of how much is the stock worth, but like. Uh, in terms of like buying a company, this is essentially like the same stuff that Buffett says, right? I mean, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm not doing anything new. But like, if you go and you decide, you know what? I want to buy a business. I want to buy a new business. How much is this business producing every year? Let's say to keep things simple, it produces $1 million. Okay. Would you pay a billion for it? Would you pay like- No. No, but with, with Tesla, people are doing it. You know, people are going and saying, you know what? I would do it because it's amazing. You know, like who knows what it's going to produce in, you know, X, X, amount, X amount of years, right? So that kind of stuff- They're buying into a dream more than they're actually buying into the fundamentals of the company. Correct, exactly. And and there were companies, both at the collapse of 2000, and, and I'm not, by the way, saying that the, the PE of Tesla is 1,000 PE, but I was just exaggerating the example for the listener to, to get an idea, right? I, I, do, I do that a lot here. So feel free in the comments <laughs> you know, to bash me. I'm, I'm always ready for that. So, but the, the, um, the, the, the idea here is, again, um, that the, uh, there's a difference between price and, and, and value. So when we are, for example, after the dot-com crash in the 2000s, when they were literally companies with like 500 PE. So they dropped from like 500 PE to 30 PE. It's like price over, uh, over earnings, right? That's still an incredible multiplier, especially for some specific industries. So a company drops tenfold, let's say, and it can still be expensive, which was part of the fear um, in the markets in 2008. But to your point, Peter, you're absolutely correct. There were companies where when you looked at the fundamentals, like especially companies like Microsoft is a perfect example of that. You start looking yeah. at Microsoft and the price over earnings of Microsoft was like, like at reached, I believe at some point, like five or, or, or 10, like I forget the exact numbers, but it was ridiculous. Like for a company that was growing that fast and the earnings kept going up every year. So that is where value comes in. And that's where smart people like Warren Buffett come and pick up pick up the pieces. So you're making a very, very good point. But there is also that difference between pricing and value. And people are always um, look at the, they're being results oriented, so to speak, because the price yeah. is the result, right? Is looking at your opponent's cards. But just because your opponent had aces this time and you had kings, it doesn't mean you misplayed your hand. And conversely, just because like you won with seven deuce, it doesn't mean you need to be playing this hand. That's exactly the difference between price and value. Sometimes the price can be tricky, can, can be tricking you into thinking that something you should keep doing this because, you know, you bought something very expensive and went further up or you and you're thinking, oh, I'm a good stock picker or you sell a company which was really bad sell because it was really good value for you, but you sold it and then it went even lower. So you thought to yourself, Great. I'm um, again. I'm a good stock picker. I know when to get out, but in actuality, it's far more complicated than that. Yeah, and I think a really good and I think a, a really good example of that, um, and probably a lot of our listeners, if, especially any uh, poker players, who like heavily into crypto and the NFT space, mm -hmm. and that's a that's an area where 
a lot of people just sort of plunged in at right. huge prices simply because they just oh this is just going up and up the, the values this is right. you know this is great this is easy money and how how much money did people lose buying it like the smart people got out at the at the sort of the peak of the market they they could kind of see that you know the overall value of the thing wasn't really Right. Well, the, the, the smart people never got in. Yeah, smart people never got in. Like, <laughs> right. yeah. You know, a complete like what I think we'll look back on in a few years and, and sort of generously uh, refer to as an absolute fad that caused right. people to be. <laughs> yeah, and and again, I mean, if uh, I mean, uh, uh, we, we've been through. I mean, we're not. Uh, I mean, we're we're not we're not that that old. Uh, I mean, you know, like I'm probably older than you, Peter. I mean, I'm I'm almost I'm almost forty, but we we still have seen some 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 some. I down- wish you were older than me, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't look it. Congratulations, sir. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> very nice. So, but we we have seen already. You know. In our, our short lives, we have seen already those collapses, and they happen. Like you're yeah. talking about fads. Fads happen yeah. all the time, and they will happen again in the future. People absolutely love those fads, but I like it that there is, you know, like those voices of reason, like uh, like Warren Buffett. We will remind us, you know, that we're not as you know as smart as we, as we think we are. Um, you know, we may be smart at an individual level, but not when it comes to things which are bigger than us, like the markets, like. Uh, a certain humility and certainly meta humility is perhaps required to be able to navigate with that. Um, and it and it almost comes back to if it almost comes back to if you, if you take it in, in in poker terms, the um, the simplest the simpler strategy is off, and the you know the more consistent strategy is often far better than the fancy play right. syndrome that an awful lot of people suffer for in poker. And the same investment. Like if you look at Buffett and what they invest in, like their biggest their biggest growth in the last year, Berkshire Hathaway, has been in oil. That's right. That's Simple. right. Simple. Simple. Way forward. Very old, but it makes money. That's right. It does make money. That's exactly right. And and uh, Buffett is is very good at doing that, you know. And and, and yeah. Munger, Charlie Munger too. Like and and his team. Like I mean, they they they're very simple. As, like you know, he's they still own Coca Cola, right? From seventy years ago or whatever it was. Like they still own that company. You know, it's not it's not something that you uh, they bought they bought for like the next five years even, or the, certainly not the next month, right? I mean, they still own Coca Cola, <laughs> and it's just. Uh, it's just amazing, and and you reminded me of something. You reminded me of that simplicity, like not not FPSing. You reminded me of something. I don't know, just to to lighten the mood a little bit. I don't know if you're following Hustler Casino Live uh, recently, uh, but uh, the they had uh, um, this uh, very aggressive aggressive player. Uh, his name is Hans, who was uh, in the show a few months ago, and uh, and I don't know if you saw that, but uh, he basically. To make a long story short, he had a skiing before the flop. Um, that was six or seven months ago, or maybe more than that by now, I forget. And there were close to, I want to say, 800 to 1,000 uh, big blinds deep. And there was yeah, a player. That sounds a, about right for Hustler Casino. <laughs> right, exactly. And there was a, a, a player uh, to his immediate left 
who was on a winner's tilt, right? I mean, he was winning a lot uh, and he was playing like very tight. And to make a long story short, I think it was like a, uh, a button versus small blind dynamic. But honestly, it really doesn't matter. It could have been um, button ver- a cutoff versus button, but it really doesn't matter. The, the moral of the story is, you know, all the money got in, you know, for 800 big blinds before the flop. And I'm like, it doesn't matter if your opponent shows you seven deuce. How could you get all the money in with ace king? And that's the, the, the thing, you know, we're talking about. I actually about- do remember that. I actually do remember this hand now. I, I can remember it now, actually, as you said it. Yeah, that's like, it's just way, way too much to be investing. Right. I mean, so what if you're the opponent? Like, I would go as far as saying, if you really have trouble with concepts like this, just, you know, it's okay to always fold, so to speak, ace-king to, let's say, yeah. a four-bet. What, what's the worst that can happen? Like, if we're, fo- let's say, we're folding ace-king to a four-bet every single time, let's say. I'm not saying we should do that. But let's, let's, for the sake of the conversation, you know, go there because we're trying to create a heuristic that can help, can help us simplify the noise. What's the worst that can happen? What's the, do we really expect to make money from spots which are going to be close anyway? Like, is that like, I mean, as poker players, we make money from situations where opponent is weak, both in terms of strategy, but also in terms of the specific spot, right? When somebody forbets, by definition, they're not weak. So we're not going to make a ton of money anyway. So are we really yeah. going to try to be that person who's going to get like that extra 1% of EV or like 2% of EV? Just like, Honestly, like folding the ace king before the flop to a four bet every time, which by the way, like somebody's gonna hear it, it sounds like ridiculous. Like that heuristic is so much better than try to navigate when is the correct time to get eight hundred big blinds in before the flop. Like, I think I think it's funny because this, this is something that comes up in our coaching groups, you know, right. quite a lot, and you know, sort of um, players will ask uh, a lot of the, some of the higher stake guys, you know. At what point, like, what's the cutoff point for getting it all in with Ace King? Like, what are we talking? Is it 170? Is That's it right. 180? You know, where do we where right. do we draw the line with what to get it all in? That's online. That's right. Where your players are, you know, loose, more aggressive. You know, there's a lot more three and four bets. Live 800 big blinds. That's right. Aces and that's it. I wouldn't, I'm not getting kings in. Like, that, that's exactly that's exactly my point. No, you, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. No. You shouldn't. It's a losing bet. I can it's guarantee it. It's a, and, and here is here is also I agree with you 100. percent Here is here is the uh, the punchline. Even if Kings is not a losing bet to get it in, it's not that much of a winning bet to begin with. So you're not no. you're not sacrificing much. That's the key point. The key point is it's not thick fat value there that you're getting like the kings versus like the entire range of deuces through queens or anything like that. Not even close. Like if we're lucky, sometimes, you know, our opponent has, you know, like queens or something like that. If we're lucky, you know, when we're talking about, we're talking about that deep, but it's probably not worth it over the times. But, but here's, that's not the fun part of the story. The funny part of the story is, I mean, he, he won, uh, uh, he won that session because he was, he's very aggressive. His postal play I, I can stand by his very hyper aggressive and and I like the hyper aggressive style because I'm also hyper aggressive. I like I like that idea. Um, but then again, I mean, the the metaphor that I like to give it's like it's like a boxer. You go into the boxing room ready to punch everybody. You think you're 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 stronger than everybody, 
And then occasionally somebody punches back, but very rarely, right? Because most people don't know how to punch yeah. back. So you go, you punch, they're bleeding. And occasionally you are in a fight where somebody's ready to punch you and they're strong and they're confident. And you say, you know what? I'm going to fight another day. Bye-bye now. So, <laughs> so you're ready there, you're punching everybody. And then sometimes somebody shows strength and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to quietly yeah. walk out the stage right now. I'll let you guys fight it out. And then I'm going to punch the next guy. <laughs> so th that's sort of like the metaphor of hyperaggression. Like if you don't know when to get out, like that hyperaggression is going to bite you <laughs> in the, yeah. in the rare end. And you just, you'll just run into it. Sometimes you have to, you have to know when to pull that back. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. But the, but the interesting part of the story is that fast forward six to eight months later, and he does it again. And he bumps into aces again, and he does it again with Ace Queen suited. He loses again. So he, does, he did it like two or three times. I mean, obviously the cards like mm -hmm. run, run, run unfavorably, clearly. But, but the point is, why? Right? I mean, why? And, and, and I get a lot of flack sometimes, the people saying, well, well, Duncan, I mean, some of the things that you're saying are very simple. Right. I mean, to, to the point that potentially somebody may argue they're, they're, they're too simple. And, and of course, there's a lot of nuance and I'm happy to get into the conversation. You know, is it 100 big blinds that we should get the ace king? Is it 170? But in the end of the day, if you are like like losing so much by making errors, we're talking about 800 big blinds deep. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Just draw your own cutoff. Just just randomly throw yeah. darts on the wall and draw your own like. Draw the cutoff at 80 big blinds. It really doesn't matter. You know, it really, it really doesn't matter. Like it, you're going to save so much money by keeping it, keeping it simple there. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's like that it's risk versus reward, but there's also, there's another factor there as well. That's especially if you're a good player who's got probably got a, a, a bit of an edge on most of right. winning in the game is the opportunity cost you, you lose out on if you bust and you have to walk away from that game. That's that by taking it all on a opportunity on a 50, cost yes. on a fifty-one forty-nine split, yes. where like if you're winning fifteen twenty big blinds, you know per hundred at that at that table, why would you ever take a flip for your money? That's 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 so beautifully put. You know, Peter. You know what? I, I'm sitting here and thinking you should have co-authored uh, that 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 book with me because it's <laughs> seriously no. I mean, seriously, exactly that opportunity cost. There is a passage there in the book that I'm describing the same thing. There is there's two players, you know, as well, Alex and Bobby. So Bobby is being splashy. He doesn't do the crazy stuff, getting all the money in before the flow. But, you know, he loses 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there. He calls with like 7-3 suited because who knows? Maybe he gets lucky. Of course, he misses the flow, blah, 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 blah. So by the end of the session, you know, Bob is like down to like 50% of his initial stock. You know, Alex, she's not catching anything. She lost like, let's say, about 10% of her initial stock, right? Because, again, she she a, a few C-bets that didn't go her way. She defended here. That, that's about it. Played, like, let's say, a couple of hands in the next two hours. Bobby has been playing, you know, like almost all of his hands. Now, here's what happens. Both, they both get dealt the same hands. Let's say this is a, um, a thought experiment. But towards the end of the night, they both get the magical hand. They get the aces or they flop their, their set or they do... But here's what's going to happen. They're both going to double up. So, so yeah. Bobby's going to go from 50% to 100% where he started. And Alex is going to go from 90% to 180%. That's the, exactly, exactly the opportunity cost exactly. you described. Yeah. Exactly the yeah. opportunity cost that you described. That missed opportunity because you, because you just 
splashed around, you know, and made silly, silly poor decisions that's cost you. And now it's really cost you because really the big you. opportunity has arisen to make serious money and um, you're not there. And, as, and like even to relay that back to investing, if right. you're going to be investing in silly stocks or silly projects here and there that may or may not go, go anywhere, when you do finally get an opportunity to invest in something that's really solid and literally goes to the moon, if your flow that you can put in there is a lot smaller, your return's going to be a lot smaller. That's you may have cost yourself serious, serious money there. That's right. Exactly. And and and, and opportunity cost, incidentally, um, uh, people like uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, they talk about it the most, right? I mean, this is like the saying, you know, and they're... Uh, they say that's the thing that they they care about. I mean, n- number one rule is, of course, to not lose the money for their investors because they're also running a, a yeah. public traded company. But then right up there is opportunity cost. They have all of these uh, options available to them. So every time they decide to go with one company, the question is, what could I have done instead? And am I, is, are there better, better alternatives? Excuse me. So they're incredibly picky with the way yeah. they, 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 they do investments. And it's... Yeah, I mean, I'm really, uh, I'm really happy we actually got there because again, that, that that concept has been a lot of my mind. Maybe, maybe we can do, uh, and maybe the listeners can let us know too, an episode on fancy playing syndrome and what are some, you know, simple heuristics, you know, to avoid um, issues like that. Because it is the the reason why I think is very relevant. And 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 you brought it up, Peter, and you're absolutely correct. I mean. Thank you for reminding me. That's that's such a such a wonderful wonderful topic. Um, like you see, talented players like Hans, right? People who are like you can tell. I mean, people who have studied the game, they understand aggression, they understand the spots, they understand ranges, right? And um, at least post flop, they've probably done some work, perhaps with with some solvers, and and yet something that simple. It escapes them because they're thinking in terms of some calculated, uh, excuse me, overly calculated, overly complicated formula that says, well, I mean, when the game is that aggressive and your opponent's range is that wide, you should never fold a scheme because it has at least 43% against the entire, like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not how people play, right? You know, sometimes we just have to, you know, eliminate eliminate that noise right and and we can say uh you know it, it reminds me of the of the gambler who's who's gonna say oh you know what i'm sitting down at the roulette table right now and uh i've seen red coming 10 times in a row uh it's still 50 50 because every every uh, roll of the ball is independent of the other but you you have evidence perhaps if anything you know that 10 reds in a row came, right? If you were a proper scientist, at least you would ask yourself, maybe there's something wrong with that roulette and red comes more frequently, right? At least you would have asked it. Now, if you reject that theory, it's a different story. But to just be that person who's like, oh, I'm going to say what the math says and I'm not going to escape from that specific rigid formula there, you know? So that's that's how I sound in my in my sleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only only when you're at the roulette. <laughs>
No, I mean, this is this has been a, a, a rant. A, a, so it, it, it's been the episode of rants for me today, it turns out. It's a really pet peeve of mine, Peter, because uh, I think simplicity is such a elusive part in, in poker games. Uh, and it's something that people look down upon. Right, you know, oh, it's not, it's not as complex. And you see how people are reacting to strategy. They want to know all about GTO. They want to know all about the complex strategies. But how can you get to those complex strategies? And that's what I always tell my students. You know, like you really want to take a really high-level math class, like let's say measure theory. You want to take, like, have you understand, have you understood calculus really at a deeper level? You know, have you taken like linear algebra, like basic math classes, in it's it's difficult to go to the next level without having the fundamentals down, I feel. Yes. And you can't. You can't. Yeah. You, you're absolutely like, I mean, the fundamentals are key in all walks. It doesn't, I don't think it matters anything you're doing in life. If you do not have the fundamentals, you cannot move to that next level with any sort of proficiency. You, know, you can try it, and you, but it'll be hit and miss. And you won't have any sustained success at it. But if you build, it's like building a house. You build a foundation first. If the foundation is strong, the house will be solid. Right. If the foundation is shaky, that house ain't lasting. That's a, that's it's a, gonna come down at some point. That's a that's a good point. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely a good point. And 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 and, and we need to to keep to keep that in in mind, uh, you know, sort of. Uh, Moving forward, so maybe you know an episode on, uh, on on the fundamentals. That's one of my, on my on my favorite uh, topics when it comes to uh, when it comes to, to to poker and poker strategies. So excellent. Uh, do you do you have any 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 final thoughts? I know we we talked uh, a lot about a lot of things, but this is Philosophical Friday, so yeah, it's, yeah. We certainly uh, we certainly went on a, on a on a couple of tangents, but I think they were they're all pretty interesting and. and my topics, fault. Um, that's hey, listen. That's that's okay. I think I, I think for the listeners, people should definitely. I, I think people should definitely check out the website, yes. uh, longbets.org. It's definitely worth the look, and mm -hmm. um, just to see some of the debates that people are actually having, because it it did spark interest for me in you know things about like that about the autonomous driving and there's a couple of other subjects there. When you right. start looking at it and you go. Maybe that's not as clear cut as I thought it was, you know. And you can delve a little deeper, and it's a it's a kind of a a thought provoker, and it's it, it's it's a definitely worth a read. But um, yeah, it's um, I think another thing, it's definitely it's definitely prompted me to be always looking for positive EV bets, and right. like if anything, if for especially for poker players that are listening, this is the kind of thing when your coach tells you don't place a negative EV bet. These are the kind of things they're talking about, right? <laughs> because right. there's a, there's just no value. There's no value in these. Like I spent several hours today going over some of looking at both sides. Obviously, I'm not an expert in it, right. but both sides are so convincing. Very convincing. Every right. on every single like, there's a couple that are a bit more. Why did why did somebody even bother taking the other side? This is almost done already. Right. Um, the likes of the Tesla one. Um. Yeah, they're, they're just it's it's on a it's on a balance it, it's a balancing act between all the different elements and there's just there's just no value. It's as you said, it's more about creating awareness about around the topics and sort of generating 
conversation and debate and when those things happen that that can move things on that sort of that can move things on to the next level absolutely and and humans we're notoriously terrible at making predictions that's one of our weaknesses we're not meant for that like our physiology our biology is meant to deal with short-term threats that's why we have like good reflexes for the most part that's why we have like those spikes in adrenaline when something happens so we're very good at dealing with the immediate danger. We don't know what it means to, to plan for the future. So this is something that we have to externally train ourselves so that we can uh, fit our, ourselves to the current environment, which is more long-term-ish, so to speak. We, th- there was no such thing as long-term until about, you know, that, that concept of long-term practically for human beings. Uh, and again, a, a historian is going to be, or a sociologist, I guess, they're going to be more accurate about this, but it's no more than about like 100 years ago or something like that, when basically the, the birth rates started to, uh, or the, I, I, I meant to say the, the um, uh, childhood fatalities started to stabilize to low, to low, uh, to low digits. Like a lot of kids were, were dying, you know, like uh, about like, you know, hundred years or so ago. So it wasn't- yeah, the, the infant mortality rate. Sort of in, infant mortality rate, that, that's the term. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Peter. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The infant mortality rate sta- stabilized. So there were less, you know, fl- fluctuations there. So people didn't even know. I mean, mothers also- um, uh, uh, died during birth, right? They didn't even know if it would yeah. survive the birth. So it was like a sort of like a short-termish um, uh, 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 m- mentality. Uh, I remember a friend of mine who's a historian, he told me part of the reason why they decided to put a retirement at the end of, uh, of 60 is because nobody would make it to 60 to collect those retirement checks. I didn't know that. Uh, and and that sort of like that's makes interesting. sense. That's pretty interesting, right? And, and it turns out that part of the reason you know, that now we have all of these issues with like, you know, backlogs in terms of like uh, social security here in the US, but in other places too, is because a lot of people um, li- live longer. So that concept of long-term, it's not, it's not in our DNA. We don't get it. So we're very terrible with making predictions. And it means we actually have to work externally to be able to navigate those things. And we don't even know how to do that either. So it's very No, we're, we're novices at that. Like <laughs> trying to get a poker player to deal with variance is hard enough. We can't see by, we can't see past that five by in downswing, never mind the, you know, sort right. of a long drawn out 200,000 hand sample. So. Good point. Good point. Downswings is a perfect example of us not understanding yeah. the concept of long-term, right? I mean, we, uh, we, uh, we, we, with Brad, we've, we've talked about this, the concept of proximity principle, right? I mean, that we're always looking at what happens to us short term. Like we cannot step out and yeah. see the graph is going up. Uh, five five buy-ins downswing. Oh my goodness. That's going to put a huge dent in my 10,000 buy-ins upswing that I have long, long term. Those five, yeah. they're going to kill me. But that's, that's how we react. We're human. We're completely human. Yeah. So I've had negative days in the graph and it's looked awful. And when I've looked at year to date, it hasn't even, it, it's not even a blip. It's it not even look like the change. Exactly. It's so small. So small. Right? You, you really have to zoom out on things like that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But, but we can't. And that is a real, yes. when I say we can't, I should be very careful. Uh, we can't instinctively. We have to work on it. It's not, yes. it's not, and we have to take it seriously. I'm one of the, the people who say, uh, a, a tilting is real. We can't like 
I don't like advice that goes like, oh, don't tilt. There's no such thing as, as don't tilt. Manage to how to, to not do that. Like find a process that works for you. And that can be a lifetime process, right? That's, it, it's not just don't do that or do this. Like we're not good at following instructions, right? I mean, we have to find a process that allows us to be able to do this uh, desired instruction, right? We can't, uh, or the desired outcome, if you will, uh, that that instruction implies. We can't just randomly, somebody tell us do this or do that and we can do it. No, we, we, we're not wired like that. No. Because if we knew, like, I mean, and I think most people do understand, especially with something like tilt, the thing, don't tilt. But I think most people know that they shouldn't be tilting in mm-hmm. the first place. And if it was as simple as just telling yourself, well, don't do this, they'd have done it already. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> it make sense. Just to say, well, don't do that. Well, obviously, I don't want to do it, but like, <laughs> I need a process. I need to learn. I need to educate myself more on why this is happening, what to do, and how to handle it, how to manage it. And that's what it is. It's about managing it. Yeah. So just become a neuroscientist and like, you know, turn off your lizard brain. I guess. <laughs> like, a, <laughs> like, like, like a magician. Yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. a lot of fun stuff. Maybe, maybe we should uh, at some point uh, do a, a, a conversation on that stuff. But yeah, feel free to let us know in the comments. Uh, Peter, where can people find us? Uh, uh, I know you are on the village all the time. Uh, so where people can yeah, find us? I- yeah, people can find me in Greatness Village. Um, you can get the link to Greatness Village to tracingpokergreatness.com. Um, I'm there. Say hello. Um, you'll also find me on Twitter, uh, Peter Birmingham. Twitter, you'll see the CPG logo on, logo on my uh, on my picture. Very, very recognizable. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can see him there. Semi active on Twitter. I try, not to, I try not to rant too much on Twitter because yeah. I... I tend to get myself in trouble when I rant too much on Twitter. So. I know, I, I know, I, I, I know. Me too. And as a reminder, again, these are some of our thoughts. It's not the end all be all. There's uh, no person who is the end all be all. Just uh, uh, some some thoughts. Some and we're trying to be as honest as we can um, with uh, with the th- with things that we're saying. So, uh, Peter, I, I I don't know. Like I think you, you're doing a phenomenal job. So uh, if if anybody, Thanks very much, Sean, can I appreciate that? So if, if anybody has any, you know, o- o- objections, you know, like uh, I, 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 I address, the, address them to me, you know, like that's, a, I think Peter is doing a phenomenal job. So I'm the one who's running on the tangents and, and, and especially today, I run to a couple of times so on some of the topics. There, so, but it's, you know, we, we're human beings. We're, you know, it's, uh, that, that's, that's how it goes. Sometimes we just have to, to speak our minds. We can't um, self-censor ourselves, you know, that's going to be no, difficult. No, and, and, and I often think the best, the best conversation, the best ideas come from conversations are, you know, just that just flow when right. you just let it flow when you get to, and to be in fairness, how many times did we circle back around to right. the same point, you know, even though right. you went off on a time, right. it still circled back around. So it, it was all relative if you look at it. If we take the overview, we won't take the short term, the short term site of the, the rant in the middle. We'll take the overview of the whole episode. Very good, Peter. I agree. Like, that's exactly right. Exactly how I feel. Like, there's all of these, there's all of these connections, and and this is, uh, I, I'm, I, I remember, like, you know, uh, studying when I was a kid. I mean, we have a lot of access, as you can imagine. I mean, I grew up in Greece, so we have a lot of access to some of our, you know, ancient, so to speak. And and one of the things that it's apparent from from reading those texts is that, you know, um, 
philosophers on on different uh, topics, like philosophers that talk about, like let's, let's say, ontology. Uh, they're not really philosophers of ontology, right? I mean, philosophers, like, which, by the way, the, the word literally means the friend of wisdom. It doesn't mean some, yeah. you know, genius guru or anything like that. Anybody who who cares about wisdom, like like you alluded to earlier, you know, is yeah. a philosopher. So in, in that loose term, you know, we're, we're all philosophers. Um, uh, when we all, all of us, you know, wisdom lovers, so to speak. But the point was, it doesn't stop with a specific domain. It's not all about ontology and we're never going to talk about morality, for example, or it's not all about morality. We're never going to talk about medicine. That's another thing too, you know. Uh, Hippocrates would actually talk to other philosophers about other other topics. So then uh, then the, we would talk about math, they would talk about the cosmos, all of, all of that stuff. It is all related, you know. It is all related. You it can't separate it. it. It's just, you cannot separate. You can talk about them in a vacuum and like pinpoint certain, but you, as a whole, if you really want to delve into a, a subject, you're going to have to bring it. It's going to move into different areas, different topics, different subject matter. Correct. Exactly. And so, some of those connections. your life. In your li life. Exactly. Correct. No, very good. And, you know, so, so, some of these, I was about to say some of these connections, uh, May, may seem may seem weird and fair at first, maybe even unwarranted, but that's why we're here for to discuss, you know, and see, yeah. you know, illustrate a point, you know, dig deeper, and you know, trigger some thought. That's all we can do. Exactly, and hopefully we've triggered. Uh, hopefully we've triggered a few thoughts for the for the listeners this week. Absolutely, and uh, well, I think we're going to have another episode before uh, you know the the end of the year, so we're not going to. Uh, send our, our wishes uh, just yet. But, uh, uh, well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, Peter, once again, thank you for, uh, for, for being here, for, the, for being an excellent uh, uh, co-host. And uh, I guess uh, I will, we'll see everybody next week. Yeah, thanks very much, Duncan. And we'll see you all next week. Absolutely. Take care, folks. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.